Hello, and welcome to the Sales Compensation Experience Podcast, the ultimate destination for everything about sales compensation design and administration. This is where the complex becomes clear, where theory meets practice, where dark arts meet science. On the experience, we promise to keep things insightful, professional, and let's admit it, just a touch irreverent. So whether you're designing, administering, or getting paid on a sales compensation plan, we've got you covered. So buckle up, because it's time to get experienced. Hi, Scott. Good to see you again. Nice to see you, Justin. Well, here we are, uh, the final part three of three, talking about sales compensation plan design methodology, all the steps that a company should walk through to have a successful plan design. And uh, I want to throw it over to you and kind of recap. What are the first two phases that we talked about in parts ones and two, one and two? And what are we going to get into here in part three? Yeah, so we're talking about plan design, and it's an activity that um, a lot of folks go through typically once a year. I think the majority of companies make some kind of change to their plans once a year. And the three phases that um, we spoke of last time um, and dedicated an episode to each, the first is really about the business case, you know, having a, a fact based um, approach to justifying changes. So why, why do we need to make a change? Um, well, because something's not working right. The, the plan is not driving the business the way in which uh, we had intended or the business has changed. So that's the upfront, you know, sometimes called discovery, fact finding, but it's really about building, building the case for change. The second phase is about, okay, what are those changes? What are the specific changes that we're making? And um, this is to ensure that um, the change is successful, that we understand what it's going to cost under a number of different scenarios, and that we're being very thoughtful in terms of avoiding any surprises, unforeseen consequences. So that's the second phase. It's really around design, designing or redesigning the plans. The third phase, I think we're going to what we're going to focus on today is um, about, OK, what do you do with those changes? Because really, so far, it's just kind of been done in a, a lab, you know, a Petri dish. But the intent is to actually implement these changes and to ideally change behaviors so that um, the plan is uh, more in line with the with the growth strategy of the business, the revenue growth strategy. So I think we're, we're focused on uh, launch or communication, implementation. It goes by a lot of different names, but this is, you know, in a general sense, it's it's execution. We're, we're executing our uh, our plan changes. And I think this is actually the the phase of plan design where I see a lot of companies stumble to a degree. I always feel like this is the, whether you want to call it the five yard line, the one yard line, we got to punch it in. We got to score at this point in time. You know, we wanted this to be successful. And I've seen a lot of companies or talked to a lot of folks where they will, in essence, throw it over the fence uh, to the sales force, or maybe they'll roll it out late because they're behind schedule, had some trouble making some decisions along the way. 
or maybe they'll forget to include some good tools uh, to help the reps understand how they're going to make money on the new plan. But let's talk about what a good process looks like. So they've made the decisions. They've done the modeling and costing. Uh, they're ready to, to document the plan. Where, where should they start, Scott? Yeah, they should start with the messaging. So how are they introducing these changes to the sales force? And how might the salespeople react to these changes? Uh, so it, it starts with the messaging and then having a sense as to, again, the, the reception. You know, there's this notion of anytime you're speaking, you got to know your audience. Um, and in the early stages of a, a new plan rollout, it's, it's just, you know, really understand, understand your audience. And, you know, the, the frontline managers are, are good or can be good conduits for that. Um, so getting them involved early in the process to help craft the messaging um, so that, you know, we're speaking to our audience. I think one of the things that I've seen successful to extend that idea, you, you touched on it, thinking about how the reps are going to react, depending upon the intensity or the amount of change that's going to get rolled out. Sometimes I think you need even a higher level of, of person than the sales manager to tee it up. I've worked with companies where I thought the CEO or the CRO should jump in and give a little bit about the why. Why are we making the changes? What are we facing in the marketplace as a company? Is it increased competition? Is it economic headwinds against the company? Are we looking to grow tremendously, defend market position? What is it and why does that change in business strategy roll down to the plan? And I think from there, you, you start to cascade that communication downstream until it does get to the, the sales manager who needs to have, in my mind, you know, a real intimate understanding of the ins and outs of the plan to be able to answer the questions of the reps that they manage and, again, help show them how are they going to get back to where they were? How are they going to make more money? How are they going to, to get to go to club? What are all the nuances of the plan and how to take advantage of it? Yeah, I certainly agree with that. And, you know, a, a, a best, best practice, best case would be that the, uh, the business case for change is well known so that the compensation response or plan changes um, are almost a given, you know, so that the, the salespeople are expecting there to be a change because of, you know, some, some upstream change in the business. For example, say there's an acquisition, you know, a company has acquired another company that has a particular product that will now be part of the broader product portfolio. And the sales team is responsible for selling it. Well, they would want to understand, okay, how are they getting paid for this, this new product? Absolutely. Are there tools that companies could put together to help support reps and in that understanding? Have you ever, how often do you build plan calculators or advise clients to do some sort of plan calculator or, or at the very least some uh, 
detailed calculations of of, how, of the math of how people are going to get paid. Yeah, if the math is is changing, and um, if it's complex, and you know, it, in a lot of cases, it is a little bit complex. It's certainly helpful to provide a tool, you know, something that allows the the salespeople to understand the math and what's what's different. And one approach that's widely used is to allow for you know the sellers to really compare this new plan to the one that they've been on, and that includes you know what is it that they're they're being measured, you know, how's their performance measured and how is that different? You know, sometimes it's relatively simple while we're just including credit on things, on products that you hadn't been paid on before, but the math is the same. Um, and it's, sometimes it's, it can be quite a bit different if, uh, you know, let's say we're adding an accelerator or a decelerator, or there's, uh, you know, some type of mathematical feature that wasn't in the current plan, but really breaking down, you know, the new plan so that it allows the salespeople to make comparisons to say, okay, I understand what's different. And then how they maximize, right, their earnings under the new plan. And that's calculators can be really good for that because, um, you know, they allow the salespeople to kind of explore the, the outer limits, you know, of the plan. And so it's one thing to say, well, if you're, you know, you do everything that we ask of you, if you hit, you know, these two quotas, let's say, you're going to earn a certain amount of pay. Really exciting, though, if you're talking about exceeding the quotas. And hopefully there's some exciting pay opportunity that goes along with that. Let me ask a, another question. So I think you brought up the just now this idea of showing reps kind of what's changed, right? And I think that during the design phase, oftentimes in the modeling and costing efforts of the plan, uh, people will create what I like to call a winners and losers report and show prior year data or year to date data uh, of what people got paid, old plan relative to new plan, and make sure that we're not adversely impacting top performers or adversely rewarding bottom performers uh, within some of the design ideas that we had. Would you feel like that's the transparency that we should give to the reps themselves? Should that be a conversation with their manager to say, hey, if you do the, the exact same thing you did this year on next year's plan, you know, you might make less money and here's what we need to change. Would you give them the details, full transparency, or would you categorize it um, just in a positive manner of, of what they need to do differently? I would give them the details because they, they're going to get, you know, most of them, right. Those people that are motivated by, by incentive compensation, they're going to get into the details and you want to make sure that they're, they're doing it correctly. So they have the right writing them numbers. examples. <laughs> Yeah, and actually, you know, walking them through different scenarios, right? It helps to ensure that they they understand the math, but they they will right get to the detail. And I think it's important that management is very transparent in terms of uh, what types of changes are required, you know, to continue, you know, making the money that they're accustomed to, or for people that maybe had struggled 
under the current plan, um, you know, how they can turn that around under this, this new plan. But the, the one point that you touched on that I think is important and it can be very challenging in a communication initiative for a new plan design. And that is um, the people that had done well under the current plan or previous plans, they're considered winners, high performers, that under this new plan, they wouldn't. Or maybe they would just earn less. And you know, an example of that is a decelerator. If they the plan, let's say, paid, you know, a 10x accelerator, no cap, you know, up into the stratosphere of performance. But now above, let's say, 200% of quota, we're going to reduce the rate from 10 down to their base commission rate. Well, that's tough because it's really impacting those people that performed in this case above 200%. It's impacting the, what was known as high performers. You've got to have a message for that. There's got to be some logic as to, okay, why does this make, why does this change make sense for the people that up to this point we had valued most highly? That sounds like a tough conversation and you may want to spin up your recruiters as well. If that's uh, what you're going to go to the <laughs> right. market with internally. Call the contractors. So let's, let's think about <clears throat> one other idea. Um, we've talked about this, I think on at least one of the other episodes, well, I was part of a survey where we were trying to determine what are some of the elements that goes into having a successful sales compensation plan or sales incentive plan versus not. <clears throat> and one of the things that came out of that survey was the idea of having rep involvement along the way uh, of sales compensation plan design, some input into the plan. And maybe you're getting that via survey, uh, frontline manager proxy of sentiment towards the plan. What do people like? What do people don't like? What's motivating? What's not? Is there a way to, to use the same idea during this plan communication rollout implementation phase? Could we test messaging uh, with some reps to make sure that it's going to, to be received appropriately before we roll out to the whole team? Or is that too nuanced or too granular of an idea and better just to, to move forward? Yeah, I think it's a, a smart idea. And, you know, most leaders, sales leaders that I have worked with prefer that um, a kind of level of detail and involvement, right? And especially just testing the messages, again, to, to, to understand your audience. Um, when changes are driven from the top, you know, as, as you had mentioned, um, you know, there's changes to the business, so we need to make these changes to the plan. Um, sometimes, particularly in larger organizations, there's just a big gap between, you know, the leaders and how they feel that the, the sellers think about things and how the sellers actually think about things. <laughs> so, um, you know, getting that involvement, right, helps um, kind of narrow the gap by, you know, understanding in a somewhat safe environment how, how they actually think about these things. Now, there's a couple risks that I think make that approach of, you know, getting reps involved, having like a focus group or something like that to test the messaging, getting them involved early and before you actually launch. Um, one is timing. And that you mentioned it, you know, earlier that, you know, the whole process often gets kind of squeezed 
And so when you get to this third phase of work, you know, the implementation or the launch, you're, you're like out of time. And so we're going to do a bunch of focus groups when we need to roll this out by, you know, whatever, January 5th or something like that. So we, we just don't have the time to do it. That'd be nice to do, but we don't have the time. So that's, that's one issue. Um, I think the, the other has to do with, um, you know, whether we're, we're, you know, setting expectations, right. By even having, you know, let's say focus groups to begin with and that, well, we're somehow going to make changes because maybe they don't like something that's, hmm. that's not the intent. And so, um, you know, I think the, the cure for these two issues or, you know, the way to get around them is one, you gotta, you gotta make the time for it and you can still launch a plan and test the messaging afterwards because it's not like the communication ends once people start earning credit under the new plan. Communication is going to go on for some time. So yeah. just do it, even if it's it's late. And set the expectations correctly so that people understand why, salespeople understand why they're being asked to participate you know, in this forum, right? Well, it's because we, we want to understand what they think about the messaging. That the plan's already designed, right? We're not going to change it. We just, we want to, we want their perspective on how best to message it. Yeah. Taking a page from our friends in marketing, a little A-B testing on messaging sure. and seeing what hits hits home better. For me, maybe prime importance is to make sure that the reps understand the plan more so than they necessarily like the plan, um, that they understand how they're, you know, what they need to do what are those behaviors that the company is asking of them uh, to be able to to get paid? All right. There's Maybe a, the a fine... piece, Justin. You triggered a thought when you said about you know understanding the plan and how it works, and um, that's a big piece of this, right? That the tool that you had mentioned earlier, like a calculator, that's you know part of helping the reps to understand how they're paid under this new plan. And let's face it, if they don't understand how they're paid on the plan, then the plan is really kind of dead on arrival. One tool that I've seen, um, you know, be particularly effective, uh, and this is, you know, under kind of complex circumstances, right? Big changes, or maybe it's just a complex plan. It's got a lot of moving parts, is to scrap the canned uh, Q&A. And by that, I mean, you know, a list of questions that those people who are involved in the design, the administrators, you know, managers, think that people are going to ask mm -hmm. and then provide answers to those questions. Scrap that approach and instead use the company's, you know, chat or messaging um, platform for, for purposes of real questions and answers and allow anyone that's included in the group to provide the answer and moderate the discussion. And so when I've seen that used well, right, you're, you're likely to see people ask questions freely because they're not doing it in a room, you know, where a bunch of people are, oh, hey, how come that guy's asking? You know, this is part of a messaging system where there's, you know, hundreds, maybe thousands of messages you know, in a week or so, um, 
having some people that are involved in the design ask questions. So you're just getting a flow of questions going, right? And hopefully people are feeling a little more comfortable, more free to ask their questions. Something doesn't make sense to them, but then allowing anybody to answer. And invariably you get different answers to the same, same question. And then you can use that information or what is misinformation, you know, in, in some cases to try to attack, you know, get to the root cause of the misinformation. Yeah. It's all about ensuring that people know how the plan works and using the messaging platform for that purpose. I like this idea. I like the vehicle, you know, of messaging something like a Slack uh, to do that. I, I like the idea of carefully moderating that conversation and making sure that the, there is a definitive answer to people's questions, you know, that as opposed to what the, the person in the chair next to them thinks might be the right answer. Uh, but man, that just even thinking about that, I, I, a little burst of adrenaline, right? That's, it's sounds scary, um, but yeah. it's a crucial conversation that needs to happen. And whether it's, you know, on, on stage at, at SCO or uh, via a messaging vehicle, I think this idea of having an open forum of some sort and not, like you said, the canned FAQ, which I think is helpful, but people are going to have questions and maybe they're going to find some edge cases or exceptions that we didn't think about during design that we want to make sure uh, we figure out before we get too far into the plan year. And, you know, somebody has an expectation that something's going to happen, then it doesn't. And we have to go down that, uh, you know, downwards spiral of demotivation. Um, but to answer it, you know, ahead of time, what happens for big deals as you know, what happens, uh, uh, when somebody goes out on leave, whatever the questions might be, you know, we'll get the answers out at the beginning of the plan year versus trying to come up with an answer uh, middle of the plan year after the fact. All right. Last couple, maybe things to touch on here. How do companies know they've been successful at this process? And are there any metrics, reports, analytics they could put in place to, to, to start monitoring things from day one? So maybe by the time they get to the first payout or the end of Q1, they could feel confident, not just from a, you know, anecdotal, hey, we think we did a good job, maybe from a data perspective of saying, okay, we're off to the races here. And now we can focus on execution versus uh, thinking about, you know, are, 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 do reps have a level of understanding and are we, into, are we going to do well this year? Yeah. Well, part of the design effort, and I think we talked about this last time, is to have a set of measures and criteria that helps define plan effectiveness that helps answer, you know, questions as to, Hey, do we, do we have a good plan? And those can include metrics that are specific to what it is that you're trying to motivate people to do grow sales, for example, or, you know, um, introduce a new, a new product, you know, through the example I gave of before an acquisition, you know, so selling, selling a new product or concept service offering. Um, so there's the business related measures. There are also those that just have to do with the salespeople's engagement, you know, around the plan. 
Um, so, you know, think of like financial measures, compensation, cost of sale is a, a common one, right? It's very comprehensive. It's not specific to, you know, growth elements in the business or in the plan necessarily. Um, but then there's, you know, also, okay, what, what do people think about it? Um, and is the plan, you know, something that engages them, that motivates them, it's, it's been effective for changing their behavior? Or is it a distraction? It's an annoyance. It's something that is contributing to their disengagement. So th those are the types of measures that, again, should be part of the design effort because we need to, um, you know, in objective terms, assess the, the effectiveness of the plan and the effectiveness of plan changes. Um, and then the, you know, the rollout, the implementation, the execution, that, that's the opportunity then to start measuring these things against the criteria and to educate the stakeholders um, of, okay, here, here's, here's how we're doing. Yeah, I think uh, the idea of having these plan effectiveness metrics available throughout the plan year, as opposed to just the design cycle as an ad hoc one-off report, would probably go a long ways for a lot of companies to know that they've you know, set the ship in the right direction and are actually achieving some results. I'll throw out a couple other ideas. I think working with a lot of comp admin to te teams over the years, I think it's always interesting to see number of disputes, first payroll, um, if there's a monthly and a quarterly component to that, you know, having at both this maybe monthly commission, quarterly bonus type of idea, but seeing like, are they seeing more disputes at the beginning of the year? than throughout the year? Uh, and are those disputes related to reps' understanding of the plan? I think it's a good gauge to see how effective you were at communicating the plan to the field if those you don't see a spike in that type of uh, dispute or inquiry to the admin team. Beyond yeah. that, I think that, you know, to me, I think a, a survey is always helpful too, to make sure that, again, that people are raising their hands and saying, yes, I understand the plan. And to your point of, and it's motivating because if it's not, you know, we have to think about how to, to repackage, relaunch, uh, make a tweak here or there to make sure that, that it is throughout the year. You don't want uh, to roll out a dud. Uh, you know, have that be the talk amongst the team and not get that feedback until the next year uh, when you're mm -hmm. when you're thinking about it again type of thing. But yeah, I think those are the, the things I might throw on top of the the plan effectiveness metrics that hopefully people have at their fingertips ready to look at at any point in time throughout the year uh, just to get that quick, you know, did we do a good job here at the the final yard. Did we did we get a touchdown or did we get uh did somebody have a, a goal line stand against us? Right. Yeah. And it, it's you know, football about, season, Scott. You're gonna get a lot of sports analogies. That's yeah. Very appropriate, I think. If if the survey was part of, you know, the upfront discovery work, um, you know, doing let's say an online survey, you know, with the sales team, uh across, you know, a few fairly basic questions. How well do they understand the plan? Is the plan structured in a way that you know al aligns with um, you know how they think the job is successful? Those types of things. If um, if that was done right, um, 
part of the rollout and the communication and making the case for change should reference what the leadership observed through that survey. Mm-hmm. So you, you had mentioned this. Well, you, you know, you think we should provide you credit for signing multi-year deals, let's say, for example. Uh, okay, we're now doing that because we heard you, or we're not doing that because here's the reason we're not, we, we heard you, but we're not making that change because. So with any involvement with a salesperson or salespeople, excuse me, whether that's in the discovery or dur- during the design phase or in the communication implementation phase, you know, it's important to say, hey, we, we heard you, this is what we heard, and uh, this, this is our response. One more question for you. I have a final thought and then maybe you can bring us home, but final question for you. What happens when companies get this final stage wrong? The, the final rollout implementation of the plan doesn't go well. What's the downside risk? Confusion is one on the, the, the part of the sellers. Uh, so they just don't, or not enough of them, right, really understand how the plan works, how they win under the plan. Uh, The other is, you know, financial, right, in that um, we we missed something. And that could be as basic as, well, that, you know, the goals are too high or too low, um, but we're we're spending more money on a particular outcome than than what we had thought. and then sometimes it's, you know, marginal in that it only impacts, you know, a relatively small amount of people, but it's very noisy and it just consumes a lot of people's time. And so that is, you know, if you have a committee, let's say, that has to review, you know, before every, um, you know, every payroll run, you know, incentive comp payroll run, they've got to review all these disputes, right? Credit disputes. And so again, those, those tend not to involve a lot of people, um, but they can be very time consuming because essentially they're dealing with things that you didn't anticipate happening. Well, we didn't, we didn't know that, uh, you know, these types of accounts, right. We're going to bundle, you know, this type of service and the plan, you know, has the salespeople reasonably believing that they would get credit for those things. But we didn't account for that and we're not prepared to pay for it. Yeah, so that, that those are very unfortunate outcomes. And look, some of them are just going to happen because, you know, in a complex selling environment, you just can't think of everything. Um, but you've got to have a good system and, and you know, response for dealing with those things. And I think you te- teed up kind of my final thought for the listeners of where I've run into a lot of design committees or head of sales where they'll believe they'll believe one of two things. And the one belief is, oh, the reps are going to game the plan. They understand the plan better than anybody and they're going to take advantage of it and maximize, you know, their earnings. On the other side, you know, people will believe, oh, the plan's complicated. The reps don't really get it. We've done this survey. I've seen third party survey data from organizations back in the day, like the CEB, where 30, 35% of the reps, you know, raised their hand and said, Hey, I don't really fully understand how I'm supposed to get paid. 
But companies that I've talked to oftentimes fall into one of these two camps. And I just want to, you know, let people know that even that feels like a paradox uh, within your selling organization, both of these ideas are true. There are going to be some reps that absolutely uh, grok and understand the plan and know how to maximize their earnings. And there is going to be a population of reps that are struggling to understand what they need to do differently uh, than they did from the prior plan year. And to make sure that, you know, you're addressing these folks and, and, and helping them um, focus on the job at hand, as opposed to focus on not knowing what to do, the wrong things, or feeling like they're getting paid incorrectly and initiating these disputes or inquiries. All right. With that, Scott, any final thoughts on phase three or any of the other phases to wrap up this three-part sales compensation plan design methodology series? Well, I'm going to paraphrase what you said earlier and, you know, something along the lines of this, you know, is probably, you know, arguably one of the most critical phases of work, you know, is, is the execution. And I think of it in just kind of two broad buckets. One is the, the communication, the, the human aspect of it, you know, change, which often think of, thought of as change management. So engaging people around the change. The other is, is more of the system side of it, is being able to accommodate these changes systematically so that you, know, you get people paid correctly and you can report in a way that's clear and transparent. Um, so within those two broad buckets, um, you, 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 you've got to execute right because you know, it's going to demonstrate really how well you did the other two phases. If, if, you, don't, if you don't communicate well, or the systems don't work correctly, then you, you can argue the whole thing's kind of for naught, unfortunately. And uh, yeah, a lot of companies just don't do a good job on this third, third and final, and what, what I think is most important phase. Well, hopefully they can take away some ideas uh, from today's discussion to, to improve by a couple points and, and do a little better this year than they did in prior years. Scott, thank you so much for the conversation today, as usual, uh, enjoyable. I learned something. And until next time. And that wraps up another episode of the Sales Compensation Experience. Our goal with the experience is not just to share knowledge, but to spark conversations. So don't be shy. If you have feedback, questions, topic ideas we should cover, or a guest you think we should interview, Let's continue the conversation at our exclusive LinkedIn private community called the Sales Compensation Experience. We hope you'll join us there. Until then, keep challenging the status quo and never stop learning.